Welcome to Out of the Woods, the Threat Hunting Podcast. Everyone, want to welcome uh, everyone to the Out of the Woods Threat Hunting Live Discord Interactive Podcast that we do every month. That really aims to cover the burning topics relating to all the threat hunting and security stuff that you want to know and we want to talk about. So just as a reminder, throughout the podcast, we'll be taking comments and questions from our Discord server. So if you want to participate, make sure to sign up using the link in the welcome message. And especially this session, we really want to see uh, more participation and bring you guys in. Because we were actually planning a guest this time, and we had some challenges, so now it's just me and Lee. So we need you guys to help sub in with some comments and uh, add to the conversation as much as possible. We look forward to it. Uh, quick introductions. Um, if you haven't been on the podcast before or heard from us, I'm Scott Poley. Uh, you can check me out on LinkedIn, connect with me there. But, you know, 15 plus years of security experience all over the place. Love what I do. Always interested. And Lee, take it away. <laughs> well, Sorry. Had to sidestep uh, with that GIF. That was poorly planned. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so I love The Office. I was watching it and I, I like turned my head over and I was like, oh, I don't remember that part. Uh, try and keep it somewhat family friendly. Uh, but no, yeah, Lee Arkinall here, uh, cybersecurity threat hunter, content developer, and uh, mediocre trainer, I guess. Um, but yeah, if you if you ever want to see what, uh, what else I've done, uh, you know, Follow me on LinkedIn. I like to post a lot of stuff about uh, emerging or not emerging threats, but current current events within the cybersecurity sphere. Uh, what you can do to help hunt, and uh, I like to lo- drop our little uh, community edition hunt packages at the end there. Uh, Try to arm our community as much as possible. Yeah. So just a few mentions before we jump into some things. Um, we have our future cocktail recipe that was made by our team. Give it a try and leave your feedback on the channel. Um, we'll have a poll at the end too, but you'll see it. It's already posted up there. I took a picture of what it looked like when I made it. It's actually kind of refreshing. So I was kind of worried about the ingredients, but I, th- I thought it worked okay. So check that out um, or enjoy whatever other beverage you want to while we uh, partake on this adventure. So with that, let's dive into the interesting artifacts from the internet. Um, I'll go ahead and start with one. And I think I may have covered this before. But I got some more visibility to it again, uh, thinking about it. And it really is about the SANS uh, blue team. They have some great repositories on GitHub, and it's their Deep Blue CLI. And really the big thing I wanted to touch on here is if you've never seen it before, it's a great way to do PowerShell, like automated PowerShell scripting on a host to pull out um, interesting detections and identifications of activity within Windows event logging and Syscall logging. So it's a quick one and done. You can run it. It'll run through all the logs, pull out all this kind of different like combinations of analytics and kind of give you the report out of that. Um, But one thing that I was looking at this time too uh, was actually digging into some of the PowerShell. And I, I got to thinking, you know, they have all these things built out for, you know, probably more instant response. But if some of those things make sense to build detections around, there's a good framework for all the bits and pieces they're looking at for the different types of detections and identifications they're trying to stitch together. So curious if anyone's 
heard of it or anyone uses the sand stuff because I think that's great. So, you know, chime in if you, if you definitely like it uh, to see if it's worth people's time. The other thing I really like about this repository um, is they give you Windows events to test with with their, their CLI tool. And in those Windows events files, they have um, things like Metasploit, uh, Meterpreter, Sil Sliver, I think it's called, right, the C2. And there's some other malicious activity that's real. So now you can have a samples that maybe you can run through your tool. So I know a lot of sims and, and endpoints, you can take uh, log data ad hoc and, and push it through. And maybe you can see what analytics you have that actually work. It's another cool use of some of the data they provided there. Um, so yeah, uh, that's all I really had to cover. What were your thoughts on it? Have you looked at the tool or seen the tool before, Lee? So I, I remember you bringing this up because I remember being fascinated by it again. Um, and I, I do remember trying to set or wanting to set it up and completely forgot. Um, well, I mean, life, right? Right. Um, but I still, like now that you bring it up, I still want to see it in action. And I, I feel like this tool gives a great view um, of not just not just what you can do, whatever it comes to, what can you detect, but more importantly, uh, when I say what can what can you detect, I'm not talking about like uh, you know advanced, sophisticated uh, TTPs or behaviors, but one of the first things and one of the biggest uh, issues with uh, a job like ours or threat hunting or SOC analysts or you name it is log visibility. Um, I feel like this tool would give you a good idea of if you're running the uh, an easy automated way to run this and determine like, well, you know what, if this adversary or this threat would show up, do we have, at, or do we have the logs needed to be able to um, at least see it? Maybe not detect yet. Maybe you haven't built a detection, um, which is fine because that's all part of maturity and all part of the process. But just getting the logs in first is extremely important. Mm -hmm. That way you can at least tell management and say, you know what? We ran this Python script. It wasn't. It wasn't malicious. Or sorry, PowerShell script. It wasn't malicious, but it mimics that. And now we have visibility on it. That if the if the real thing would happen, um, we now can see it. So I, extremely important. Well, one of the things you bring up, I think, would be really interesting too for for people that work in places where they have threat emulation or other tools to help with that, or they do their own threat emulation, or they have a red team it'd be really cool for them to do an exercise just to do their emulation and try to run this tool to see actually how effective it is. You know, like I said, like I haven't personally used it. I just looked at some of the data in there and used some of the ideas and stuff from, from the actual repo, but I haven't cut and dry, like went after an incident cause that's not what I do today. Um, but it'd be really cool to see, you know, if it's truly effective or how effective it really is. If you were to like, do some validation yourselves, um, where you have those like, easy tools to deploy for emulation. It's my turn to do like a Friday tomorrow project. Yeah. Just throw a bunch of things at it. We can yeah, drop that Lee Atomic and then run this against it. <laughs> uh, might not be running after that. <laughs> Ooh, what do you got? So, uh, first things first is a article from Malwarebytes. Um, this is pretty, not non-technical, it's more of uh, government uh, or guidance, regulation stuff. Um, and I clearly can't talk and type at the same time. Um, <laughs> so the Malwarebytes found that um, the ALF-V <laughs> ransomware group, or or AKA Black Hat, mm -hmm. they added another 
tactic of extortion to their toolbox. And strangely enough, this involves the U.S. government. So double for those, uh, if this is your first step into threat hunting or cybersecurity, um, just a little history about ransomware. It all started with encrypting your data, right? It was basic form where we're going to get in your environment, we're going to encrypt your data, and we're going to say, hey, here's a key. Um, you pay us X amount of Bitcoin, and we'll give you the key to, de uh, you know, to decrypt all your files, and you get your files back. Then they kind of had to up the ante because no one was paying, because the FBI was like, don't do it. We'll figure out how to do this, uh, or we'll negotiate, and so on. So ransomware actors were like, you know what, we'll, we'll double extort you. So first, before we encrypt all your files, we're going to exfiltrate all your data, all your hope. And I'm sure they're hoping for customer data. I'm sure they're hoping for, um, you know, intellectual property. And then they encrypt your data. So first things first, they say, well, if you want access to your data, here's a decryption key, pay for it. And if they do, okay, you got that money. If they don't, big deal. Then you could say, well, you know what? We have all your data. Here's a snippet of what we have. Pay us or we'll leak it to the public. Um, so that was dubbed double extortion. Now what's happening is back or just recently, the SEC has passed uh, a rule or I'm not sure if it's guide or guidelines, regulations, a law. I, th I think it comes with fines. So it's got to be something it's requirement uh, regulations yeah thank you yeah thank you but with within an organization and I, there's like different rules for different size organizations but if they detect a cyber security breach or incident they have four days to file a, a form and i think it's the form ak and it must be filed within four days well what black cat or alf v is doing um, they now, if it's over four days, what they'll do is they will file your four, form AK for you to the SEC or the security, uh, security exchange commission. No, not security. Yeah. Security. Oh, you're going to have to look it up now. I'll look it up because I, 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 I know I wrong thing and now I'm, I'm stuck. <laughs> SEC. Not security. No, they got security on the brain. All I can think of now is Eminem now. The SEC won't let me be. So let me be me. <laughs> this Securities and Exchange Commission. Yeah, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Yeah. Okay. You just there's an and in there that threw me out. But they'll they'll file that for the organization, which I find like putting salt in the wound, like. <laughs> Like, hey, we got your data. Hey, we're well, really it. trying to force people's hands, right? And, and I guess, I guess, but you know, at this point, I, I don't know, like, what gain they get of that. Like, if you go out of business, then, like, well, so it, it just kind of want to hurt you one way or the other, and they're hoping that you know, yeah, if they so. that that you will then up, you know, comply with whatever, because after those four days, and you haven't reported, and they know that. It's very easy for them to say, well, it's obvious you know you've been breached because, you know, we tell you. Because they basically send you, hey, contact us to figure out how to deal with your problem. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting way to basically say, you know, if, 
if you don't follow and do everything the right way, we're going to screw you anyway we can't, you know? Absolutely. And, and if I know, if I know the government, like at least I think I do somewhat, <laughs> then once you get on that list, once they, once you bubble to the top and they see you on a form like this, it's kind of hard to get off the watch list. Like, yeah, they kind of follow you for you doing everything right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it, I, not, I, funny is not the word. Ironic? No, that's not the word either, but like creative, I guess. It's just they're using our own regulations against us, which well, maybe, it's maybe this will be a big turning point. Maybe this will be like, well, we need to be on top of our stuff now. Like we can't mess around. Um, and, or maybe we'll start getting lawmakers or people with experience with this to rise up to that lawmaker role and be like, well, you know what? Like that doesn't make well, sense. Well, it's interesting with all breach requirements or incident requirements is it's always that question is what defines that? But with ransomware, it's pretty obvious. So I feel like that's where they can pull that very easily. Cause like you might be breached and not know it, or you think something's wrong, but you don't really know if it's really a cyber incident, you know, like you might have something, you know, and you know, one thing it's for one, it's cut and dry. Right. So, so that's an interesting thing too, because they're clearly setting the, I guess the level of where breach at least needs to be reported every time. Uh, and they're not wrong. Like I, I, I kind of, I think if that's the requirement, the companies should deal with it, but you know, it's just, yeah, it's an interesting trick of the trade. Right. It's kind of like, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. You wonder, are, like, are they going to waive the fine? Are they going to be like, well, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't filed responsibly. Like, well, yeah, that's what's more interesting <laughs> to me. How does the SEC respond to that? Are they just treated like any other report, or or is it looked at as different, right? Um, so that would be a good follow up for sure. So yeah. the the next uh, thing I want to bring up because we're kind of doubling down a little bit since our our guest isn't here, and they were going to talk about I think it's just called pronounced waza. Right. Um, you want to, I got the link, I'll throw it in the, but basically it's an open source kind of sim tool, but it kind of does it all. Right. Um, why did it not paste? Oh, I was doing images again. You, you, you figure that out. Throw oh, it up. Yeah, all right. So but basically it's like an open source sim. Um, kind of like, you know, when you think about Elfstag back in the day, uh, that has analytics built in, but it's got, um, they call it kind of XDR, right? So it's got the ability to do incident response because you got agents running there. You can do um, threat hunting. So, you know, based on their description, it sounds like you can, but I haven't really looked into what the threat hunting really looks like. Um, but they have a lot of access to different data. Uh, that you, but what's great because that way they uh, opened it up, you can actually monitor containers. And so like instances in the cloud, Docker containers, um, but what's really good is I think this is a great tool for a small, medium business. Like what, what I thought when I saw this was when I worked in the university space back when I didn't knew nothing about security operations, but I started learning about sims and tools like that that we could never afford. Um, this just seemed like an amazing tool because it was like, wow, not only does it help you with the security side, centralized logging and things like that, 
but it helps you with the compliance and reporting. They have really good uh, dashboards and things, and they have a vulnerability where they where the the agents looking at all the vulnerable things that might be on your network. So it gives you visibility to all your endpoints that you're actually going to manage potentially, and a lot of data collection so you can build your own detections. I'm curious what the out of the box detections look like. You know, for some instances, I feel like I want to be able to just kind of create and build my own stuff. You know, start to finish. But I do think of those smaller businesses where they can really benefit from decent detections, but if they can manage their environment better, uh, that's a, a big enough win to have something like this. Um, so really cool. I definitely want to check this out. I remember someone actually brought this to my attention when I was doing my group projects working on my master's, and I'd forgotten what it was, but they were using it, and they were kind of touting about how that's what they use at home. It's really effective. They, they are able to have the visibility they want just from their home lab and home environment. And I forgot the name. And so when, when Chief brought that up, I was like, yeah, that's that's a cool tool. Definitely something I want to check out. So my so my question with uh, anytime I see your open source, um, mm-hmm. in my mind, I feel like that puts more pressure on the cybersecurity team. Um, and if well, they offer foundational support. So... Okay. So you could pay for support, but you can use a tool independent, I think. So it's kind of cool. It's kind of like what you want, right? Because they've, they've been pushing versions out. I saw they had like four point whatever. So that means they have like at least their fourth major version and they're maintaining it, whoever maintains it. Um, like I said, I just haven't had the time to really dig into it because it just brought it to my attention yet again, kind of last minute. Um, I'm curious if anybody out there who's listening, um, have you ever heard of Waza or used it before or have like, you know, horror stories or like really cool stories that, that'd be great to share because um, it looks like one of those promising tools, just like I think Elk's actually a great um, stack uh, just Love to kind of see what, what value it adds and, you know, how you can interact with the data or search across data or, you know, the speed, like there's a bunch of things. Um, I know with Elastic, they have uh, the Elastic endpoint, which adds some of that like EDR capability. Um, and I don't know how this endpoint agent works um but it sounds like because it deals with automated response uh, i don't know how far elastic does with some of those things um but it'd be really cool to check out right you know if you're like a one guy shop you know this might be the tool for you you know i would love to have like a a just a cybersecurity conference that is like a open source bake-off yeah i'm surprised they don't have like open source sections well who's gonna sponsor them no, no, no open source is going to pay to be there. People just come show their tools, right? Like, that'd be cool, right? I don't know. An expo, maybe. You know, when it could be sponsored by the big names. I don't know. Why would you sponsor your own competition? <laughs> Sorry, that, that's, that's, that's my... You're not wrong, but, you know, for people that are leaders, like Microsoft's a big leader in the space. It's not really competition. If they sponsored it, they'd be like, all right, well, who do we want to pick from? Do we want to buy or, you know, whatever, you know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Or or bring a bunch of independent researchers together that have used the tools and like people that have published their findings and you know, instances for like that. Yeah. I mean, speaker. So I can't see your whole name. Um Probably because we're not friends on Discord. Sorry. But it says, Jay, <laughs> they said it's such a large business for them, them being the ransomware group, that they'll do anything to protect their business model. Absolutely. I completely agree. Oh, they yeah. constantly adapt. Uh, yeah, and sorry, we're kind of s- stepping back. 
they will constantly adapt to make that money. I mean, what's the, what is it? I'm going to just Google real quick. Um, the SOFO State of Ransomware 2023 report survey of 3,019 decision makers from midsize found the average ransom payment was $1.54 million. So yeah, if that's the average, or if they can even get a small chunk of that. Well, you think SEC governs a lot of the financial services where there's a lot of money to begin with, right? So... Does this work like the whistleblower program where if you're a whistleblower and there's like a lawsuit, they're not going to pay. <laughs> no, no. All right. I a- doubt it. I mean, that was, they'd be like, they wouldn't support criminal organizations, but yeah. yeah. I mean, can you imagine that story? Ransomware actors going white hat or I guess gray hat. Yeah. They, they actually call them professional pen testers now. <laughs> I'd like that. I like that story. Netflix adaptation. Um, and then Dario says the details of another article. The company stated that they couldn't know how much info was stolen, so they were not responsible for reporting it until they had all the facts about the data. Um, and I asked him back. Uh, I said, "Do you know how that falls under the guidelines, or if it's like a get out of jail free card?" Um, I, I reading earlier the guidelines. I think it mentioned that. Any loss of material, whether it be a warehouse being um, burned down or the loss of files, um, and this all pertains to loss of material object or materials to the organization. So they something said, tangible. right, um, or or digital. Oh, um, right, but something that is like real, like you can say that this is definitely yeah. left. Yeah. Um, and they said anything. Now I didn't see. Maybe I missed it, or uh, maybe I just didn't get the details. But I don't think there was, like, a cost value. I don't think they were, like, well over... Well, like, how much? Yeah. Right, like... Well, it's so, a, but, but this is what I've always hated about regulations, um, is, like, how we respond to them is splitting hairs on words, and words are important, I get it. But, like, we never really boil down to, like, what is the ultimate point? What is it we're trying to solve, right? And that's the one thing I hate is, like, when you have states or governments say, we know when a breach happens. And it's like, I really want to say, well, what are you going to do with that information? Because if I know how you're going to use it, then it's much easier for me to know what to share, when to share. But instead, it's like, well, it just has to meet these guidelines, and we're going to collect it, and we're going to do whatever with it. Like, analytics, we're going to – it's like – no, but like until you see a product that they're going to generate, like that that doesn't even like motivate people. Show the value in even sharing it, other than you're just like, I'm on the shame board this month, you know? Like, <laughs> it it's like, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's like we've gone down this road of trying um, entities trying to make organizations report breaches for I mean, good or for bad. Possible, but like making them report things isn't. That's not accountability, right? Yeah, it's like we started off on this good idea, and right. no one wanted to do it, so they're like, all right, we're going to start punishing you, right? Like, we're going to make you do it whether you like it or not, um, which is never a good way to for prog- uh, progress. It becomes a loophole folly. Everyone just wants to say, well, we had the loophole because we didn't know exactly what was still on, so we have time. It's like, I get it. I, I get both sides of it, and that's what's so frustrating because I feel like there is a right answer, but, like, 
there's so much fear and uncertainty to work together on that. It's just a... I think the biggest problem, and this could be just shooting from the hip, but that it's tied to cyber insurance and anything with a cost. That Well, anything, I mean, money is in the picture, so that's why this whole thing is a problem, right? Like, it's just a... Money makes people uneasy. Yeah, yeah, especially money like that. <laughs> I like the, it's the shaming to invest in your cybersecurity. I mean, that's the best part when a breach happens, right? You can be like, we need more. And they're like, yes, protect, because we don't want to be on the shame board anymore. Do you think this is being run by the big organizations that have been compromised recently that they want the little guys to be shamed to? Is this all some conspiracy yeah, theory? There's never, like, I think when I see a small company get breached, I'm like, oh, that sucks to be them. But when I see a big company, I'm like, shame on you. <laughs> you know, like, We're like the you, should have, you should have had more resources, you know, like, yeah. Which, okay, this is going to sound terrible, so I hope no one takes it out of context. Um, <laughs> But the way solar winds went down mm-hmm. was so. I look at breaches and compromises like I do fishing, right? Like cyber fishing nope. or like real fishing? Cyber fishing. Okay. No, I can't look at this like I just like sit on a boat drinking this analogy here, and I was like, all right, I'm ready. <laughs> I just drink beer all day. No, um. Yeah. <laughs> Don't catch a thing. Um, but we're not, we're all capable of being fished, whether it be the perfect fish or just inconvenient right. time. Every organization is also susceptible to compromises or compromises. Now, compromise. why is this? Sure. Cyber attacks. I don't know what brick wall, but everyone's. Everyone's capable of doing that, whether it be directly, whether it be a phishing attack and they get straight into your organization, or it be a su- supply chain attack, you name it. Um, it's a more of a psychological way for that. <laughs> um, I like that. Um, but every organization can do that. But it's really how you approach it after the fact has happened. Um, like SolarWinds and was it Dragos that got popped recently? Dragos got hit. I don't think there was necessarily a lot of impact, but they did a great job reporting everything that yes. went through with that. They right. real like I'm pretty they they basically came and they're like, listen, we know we're a security company, yeah. but we're we're human too. Versus the other side where people are like, Well, we can't report that because God, like we have the product, we have like you know, look at the impact. And it's like, I don't know how you manage it shows your your maturity, not the fact that you were impacted. I think you're absolutely right. Um at least, but that's tough because I say that with my perspective. I'm a cybersecurity person, so I'm like, "Wow, they really got their their stuff together." And then I, I hear someone who doesn't report things. I'm like, "Wow, they really don't know what's going on over there." And then the average person is probably like, "Did you hear everything they said happened to them?" And I'm like, "That's a good thing, you know." So I don't know. Perspective. Yeah, yeah. And just uh, swanky corn, <laughs> or is that swanky or wanky corn? Um. I think it's really based around cybersecurity insurance. Also to get the solar winds and octaves of the world in check, i.e. the C-suite. Yes. Speaking of, and I, sorry, I don't mean to keep uh, derailing it. Have you yeah, heard the... Talk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think it's bad that we don't have a guest here. <laughs> <laughs> um, no one's going to... This might be our worst episode. It's going to be like, yeah, we started talking about something and it was just... Uh, thank, all right, it's swanky. Um, 
<laughs> but apparently, the was it the CISO? God, I was listening to the Black Hills Information Podcast um, or InfoSec, and they were talking about how apparently there were emails being exchanged that were like, hey, you're selling our security. Um, and I don't, sorry, I, I, I don't want to put out false information, but it sounded like someone was saying, we're not that secure. Um, and then the SolarWinds CISO was accused of fraud, I believe, to the shareholders. Um, I hope that's accurate because I was listening to the podcast while I was walking my dogs. Um, if you can't hear them in the background, um, <laughs> but it was, it was just like, that is a good reason, or that's the worst case scenario, right? Like you're running a ship that you're like, Hey, I'm a response. Like we're the greatest blah, 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 blah. And then people below you that are working actually doing the prior are like, well, you know, like not really like we need improvement, but I, I hope that's what the, um, Thank you, Swanky. Um, I hope that's what the regulations are aimed to do, to get people honest, to get people um, more aware, I guess. Yeah, so someone, uh, was it Riptide, brings up a good point about the lawyers. And I my only advice when it comes to the legal, like obviously legal is going to control the narrative and the conversation. Or that's the place they, they need to be or want to be or whatever. But I think there needs to be that level of expectation with legal team on what stance does the company want to take if something like this were to occur, right? Um, like a matter of, hey, you know, we want to be as transparent as we can to the public if something like this were to occur. And these are the things we want to be able to share. So you as a legal team needs to figure out how to make that happen or figure out what we need to do to, to facilitate some of that, you know, um, because a lot of times when people hit the panic in that area, it's almost like they like legal handle this. And the, the natural lawyer legal thing to do is protect, 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 protect um, to the point where they're not going to represent the company the way maybe the company wants to be represented in the, in the time of a breach. Uh, so I, I think that's also a really good conversation to have um, to make sure that everyone's aligned when it comes to these types of scenarios. So, And you know what? I, I believe um, Dario said it earlier too, where he said they, uh, they're, they weren't responsible until they had all the effects and the data. I think you can definitely report a breach and still say we're in the process of figuring out the impact, like you mentioned. Um, honestly, like if I was the government or if I was a consulting agency and someone came in and said, like, hey, we've got something going on, could you help us? I'd much I'd be much more willing to help that other than then someone be like, well, you know what? We got something going on, but we're not sure if we need to do anything about it. Like we're checking in on it and being like nonchalant about it. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely lied about their security. So yes, the scenario is what the goal is. Yeah. Yeah. Hold. So I don't know if you want to take us to the next one. Cause I, I definitely have an interesting point on the next one uh, that you were going to bring up. And that is. I mean, I'll I'll ah, black cat. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah the 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 CISA stuff right yes so this advisory covers uh the royal ransomware and it's recently been updated to um include the black suit ransomware it's been in the news recently i think it hit a school down in ohio 
outside Columbus. It's had other, um, who else? Is it? Someone else uh, that was significant. Of course, they didn't put it in the meeting notes. Nice. Um, but they've been picking up lately. Now, the black suit Ransomware came out, and they realized, or through looking at or static code analysis, I'm sure dynamic uh, analysis as well, that um, the black suit ransomware was very closely related to the royal ransomware uh, ransomware group through both uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures, and the code source itself. Um, royal being quite active since 2022 was actually a, like an offshoot once Conti broke down and once they dispersed through because of the leaks. Um, man, those dogs are just going at it. Um, but the idea was that, first of all, ransomware is such a, I want to say, easy thing to look at because we've discussed this before. Um, and just to give like a cliff notes of it, if we can detect, or if we can start detecting ransomware and hunting for ransomware faster and better, um, then we could start looking at the more actually uh, sophisticated attacks. Because we have, like, uh, and not to say that ransomware is a low-hanging fruit at all, because it really isn't. Um, or I they're a low bar based on their objective, yeah. Right, they're not going to embed them in your supply chain and wait for a year or two to collect as much information as you can. You know, they're they're there to smash and grab. Um, but what I like about this is that if you can start looking at royal ransomware, or if you have been hunting for royal ransomware, now that it's shifted and rebranded itself as the black suit ransomware, I'm sure there's some code changes. I'm sure there's some TTPs and behaviors that have uh, been used instead, uh, and I'm sure it's because they're improved. I'm sure it works better. Um, but the idea is that because ransomware groups are so familiar, or so the goal is similar, and they work together normally, there's a lot of uh, discussions about um, ransomware groups, either like a guy having two jobs as a ransomware operator, will go to Conti one day, then Royal the next, and so on. Um, but they talk. They, they're like one of the few cyber cr criminals out there that are like hey you know what if we work together we can all be successful we get better together and we get more money right um the good thing is if you've been hunting for the royal ransomware you're in good hands and you have a lot of the ttps that are uh associated with it um so you've already got a step ahead but you just gotta figure out what changes and you know and once again uh attribution is a um is the game I don't play simply because I don't have the amount of data. But most importantly, I remember uh, some someone much smarter than me said attribution is only uh, or is really usable or really helpful if you're going to do something about it. So if you can attribute to something like to uh, you know one of your countries on your no-fly list, right? If you can say, all right, we're going to block that IP space or embargoes or a lot of the stuff that the government does. Um, then attribution is really helpful. Uh, quite frankly, if I'm in an organization and we identify ransomware as going through our environment, I don't care who is doing it because I know the goal for it is financial gain. Um, they're you know, probably looking for cryptocurrency and so on. Um, and like everyone's on ransomware's 
victim list, right? Or target list, right? Um, but ransomware, or sorry, I guess to digress, ransomware is very similar um, with each other. So if you can find those core behaviors that, that they do, like deleting your shadow copies uh, to impact your, you know, or impair your system backups, then, you know, then you're you're got a good thing going already. And I'm gonna let Polly yeah. talk while I we got a lot of yeah. So there's on. there's a yeah there's a good share. I really like the ecosystem map because it kind of lines up with what I've been saying uh, a lot when it comes to ransomware. And they have a great graphics of like how ransomware breaks up and becomes other ransomware groups over time. So that's why the TTPs share all over the place when it comes to the ransomware group. I feel like if you can hunt for the two or three most popular ransomware groups, she can pretty much hunt for all of them in a lot of instances, um, right? Unless there's initial access type things they take advantage of because vulnerabilities and exploits that are really easy to take advantage of are out there. Um, but the one thing about this report that kind of... is Well, there's a couple of things that, that spoke a lot to me. One, I counted... So if you look at the, uh, IP, uh, the indicators, IP lists, um, there were what, 17 IPs listed in December of 2022, and then there's 36 listed in November of 2022, and there's one of January 2023 and no more IPs listed, right? And it it this shows how daunting it can be to keep up with IOCs, especially for a group that's going to be rotate them, rotating them a lot. Like, if you see 36 different IPs in November, they're looking at different targets more than likely. They might have a couple IPs per target, right? Um... But that's why, like, that becomes, I mean, even the report didn't keep up with it. But one of my favorite things is in the report. Uh, Wait a second. Wait a second. You know what it is, don't you? I think so. Single file characters? Or a single yes. character? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just like, I don't know what it is about being an adversary that just using <laughs> more than one character in a naming convention is difficult. But they have single character bat files. They have single character executables. And if... If we let those fly because this is like the most trending thing that's gone back almost a decade, um, yeah, we should kind of be ashamed of ourselves when something like that hits us. Uh, but can I say said, go ahead, because I think I figured it out. It it might be pure laziness, but if they're yeah. targeting a bunch of organizations, they just have that script that increments by one. Looking at this one, you see. Two dot bat, three dot bat, four dot bat. <laughs> They're just like well, you know, that's also that also could be the order in which they execute things, and they simplified their process. <laughs> that that'd be a cool like you could figure like, out. Here's our discovery. Here's our execution. Here's our lateral. Here's our you know. Can they just map so, miter? Yeah, they should just do it the miter. I mean, they'd be more than <laughs> one character. They'd be better off. It would help us too. Um, Sorry, but. But yeah, anyways, like that's when, when I when I talk about behaviors, it's like the best example of like that is a human behavior thing. There's no machine that requires you to make a single character file. But us as humans, we don't if we're like this is a throwaway executable or a throwaway bat, like I'm not gonna try to be creative and blend in, especially if I'm gonna be there for, you know, a week. Let me just get the file created and move it over, right? Um, and so yeah, once again, stands out for sure. Um, so that's, that was one of the big call-outs I want to have. Like, it's also, it's like the end of 2023, basically, and there's only one IP address in there. 
but that that single character thing i'm sure is still alive in the wild um if not used by them used by somebody else so i'm can we, curious please talk i was i just want to ask the group if anybody has detected anything malicious based on looking at single character things because i know i have and i know it's been there um in reports and everything all over the place i'm just curious who else has had the same success uh if anyone has because i just every time i see a report i see that i just kind of crack up to myself like again because it's that common let's see if this works are you getting savvy over there i think that's the no other way around right regular expressionist game i don't know all right we'll do it well, it depends on what tool you're in, because it looks like you're typing for Splog. Yeah, I guess <laughs> we'll just do this. We want to start a string there. This would be... Yeah, the end of line character. What? Anchor it. Do the dollar sign. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's close. There's different versions of that you can do. But yeah, something like that hopefully gets you there, right? If anyone can take this or simplify the regular expression, if if that translates. If not, you know, please fix it. The idea is close. Yeah. I would love to hear your feedback. Um, But yeah. Oh, can, can we stop for a second real quick? Can we talk about how much the CESA reports have improved? They have. 100%. Like, and this, I know I haven't been in the game that long, but I remember getting a CESA advisory and then IOCs, right? Well, it was like two paragraphs of like, there was something that happened. This is why we you should really be concerned and scared about it. Five IPs, two domains, a hash. And you're like, Okay, and so then your afternoon was like, search, 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 search. I didn't have anything, so am I good? I have no idea. You know, like, yeah. And so. now we got this. Probably gonna... But, like, yeah, I mean, I think MITRE helped drive some of that because it helped educate people on what to share, right? If they, you know, if people use MITRE in different ways, but it really provides, like, hey, these are the things that are actually important when it comes to an attack. Um, all these different levels and all these different intricacies yeah. at those levels, I think that uh, really helped people a lot along the way. It's it's really great. Um, and and this is, I like this section too. Sorry to keep bombarding the Discord. Um, so I love MITRE, of course, because it's just such a wealth of information. But then they added this. The malicious files have been found in victim networks in the following directory. So it's like uh, it's like how we teach our customers to operationalize the intel of making it look for consistencies uh -huh. um, versus the focusing on the variables. The variables being the IOCs and the directories or constants being like the TTPs and behaviors. Where do they like to drop their files and so on. But I, I'm... It's refreshing to see a government entity step up to that level. So I've always wondered if, like, the things that you just pasted or showed there, um, like, where they draw classifications on that information. Because 
I remember, you know, certain IOCs would have like a highly classified and some would not be highly classified depending on where they sit and how they're discovered. But that other information, is that considered more sensitive because it's, it tells more the narrative of what actually happened? And so that was part of the, the barrier or was it not even being considered? That's, you know, I have no idea. I'm just kind of food for thought. Like, I wonder if those were barriers or not based on that sharing. Because, so. I mean, like, I, there's smart people that work in government. They deal with threats all the time, right? So. No, no, absolutely. No. Yeah, I, I hope no one took that as me saying the government is stupid. But, <laughs> um. Because there are amazing people that work there. Um, but even with the smartest people, I know the government has a lot of red, red tape, regulations, oh, yeah. and, and paperwork and stuff. So to see them... Yeah, so it, it's good to see. All right, well, I think that kind of closes out um, some of the finds we had. There's some discussion pieces uh, I want to bring up. And the, and the first one really... Um, I'm really curious to the people that have been talking. I don't know if you're responsible for implementing new technologies. Um, but I kind of want to talk through what does that look like and what makes sense from an approach? Cause I've kind of gone back and forth where I'm not always responsible for implementing new technologies, especially when it comes to, you know, bigger organizations, but like, what are some of the, like some ideas and things about, right? Like what kind of process people go through for implementing new technologies what are some of the gotchas that usually upset people um or get you in trouble um when it comes to testing uh how is that being done and risks and so and the reason i bring this up i had some conversations with some folks about implementing new technologies and it was around you know being in a cybersecurity professional it's like gosh i really want to have every single security control in place i want to make sure all those things are crossed as i'm onboarding something so i know that it's good right um but then that adds a lot of time sometimes because sometimes things just don't work unless you understand how they work or you run into some of those hurdles those gotchas i guess we call it versus there sometimes we implement things under like the default configuration right um where we're like, okay, we're not going to do anything additional. We're going to, the default configuration is what we're going to run with. And then we'll make changes after we get things working. And then there's the approach where let's not worry about anything other than getting it working and then stack on all the things that we want to enhance or secure once we can prove the product. Um, so yeah, if people have anything to chime in on that, I think that would be great. And what it kind of made me think about um, and this is a question for, this is going to be, I'm going to put you on the spot, Lee, for this one. But remember the time you implemented Sysmon? I do not. That's, that's strange <laughs> that you bring that up. But you had to go through a process, right? And, and like, I want, like I'll, I want you to kind of talk through your process initially, what you kind of learned from going through that process, and if you were to do it differently the next time, like what you might change, if that makes sense. So I do want to say, though, I did leave out one answer, and I forgot. It's E. We paid a lot of money for this. We need to get it working. <laughs> yeah. Depends oh. on the tool. Yeah, <laughs> that's true, too. Like, what is it for? <laughs> now, are you saying it depends on the tool referring to the person or the technology? Good question. 
<laughs> Thank you. I was wondering. I just let me run. I hate you. <laughs> um. So, um. So yeah. So getting Sysmon out up and running was a hundred percent learning experience. Um. So what we did was, and I believe we started in our sock. We put it on the computers because we had the most access to it. Uh, we started with the configuration file and started adding things, um, which was funny because things that we would tune out as business as usual or things that we don't want to generate a ton of logs for, the big hitters ended up being like nothing compared to once we started rolling out eventually. Oh, which yeah. shows what, if you're too focused... Everyone works different, right? Right, like next time I would have definitely grabbed like five computers or 10 computers from all over different departments of the uh, of the company. So your testing and sampling uh, would have changed. Right. Also, um, I would not have picked, I would have picked the most up-to-date version of Sysmon. Um, I don't know how I missed that because that's like a basic 101 um, because the version I picked was vulnerable um, to data leakage. Which we found out in the best way possible. Rip. But anyways, uh, but definitely the approach of sampling, um, finding something that already exists to take a lot of the hard work out. Like there's, like we went with blank, a blank. Yeah, start from scratch, hundred percent. Um, because in my mind, I was like, this can't be that bad. Um, so, so that'd be like testing like a default config, right? And then Guy see what all settings. Yeah. Right. Cause I was like, I want to truly make this unique to our environment. Yeah. And found out that was a bad idea. Um, because there are people out there that are much smarter than me that have done this already, that have created great configuration files that exclude a lot of the stuff that we were trying to do. But I think the problem was we were trying to, or I was trying to focus on our business as a unique whole. And I completely missed the whole windows as a normal operating system so we were seeing a bunch of stuff like that and we're like okay um now this was unexpected because we thought we tuned out the loud stuff but now we're really loud um it was it was definitely a journey it was definitely a learning experience um yeah that that's really how i would do it differently just look what exists already let's look what's working increase your sample size uh definitely stay up to date with uh latest version latest patches and you name it so yeah what i what i liked about when you were rolling that out because i got to to i, I wouldn't say supervise but i got to watch because i just let you kind of run with it um but uh <laughs> guy. was like yeah like the I, I do think it makes sense especially when you're deploying things on multiple endpoints and environment you know starting small growing big but i also liked how um, you were utilizing tools and working with other teams as you hit different sections of the org. Like, what was the network impact? What was the collection impact? What was the so you had a lot of really cool measurements to say, yeah, how how does this affect anything else? Um, which was kind of cool um, that I liked, uh, and I never even would have thought of. And you had these really good reports about it, um, but yeah, but that yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I I actually because you know I, I first heard of Sysmon when you basically pulled it out from, you know, doing what you were doing. So, um, highly effective tool, but like that was a, I mean, that's a big rollout. Like if you've never, you know, made a system on your environment from scratch, it's one, it's a tough sell. And a lot of times, but two, I mean, it adds cost immediately because you're collecting more data. 
So you got to be smart about it. And uh, cost to, to your throughputs, cost to your endpoints. I mean, there's cost everywhere, and you know how that shakes out. Um, but I've also, I feel like I've been, as a security professional, when I roll things out, I've always had that. And even when I set things up at home, like oh, I'll set things up like to test things out or in a lab or whatever. And I'm like, I got to make this as super secure as possible because I'm a security professional. And, you know, so I should know better and I should be able to do this. And I spent days when I probably could have set something up in maybe hours, right? And I've kind of took a step back where if I'm in a, a safe environment and I just want to understand how a new product works, I think I would just turn everything off and just say, give me the bare bones so I can see how things are supposed to communicate. Because I think it's much easier to troubleshoot as you flip things on and then something breaks so you know exactly what it's you know, tied to versus you turn everything on with the proper secure configuration and nothing works. And you're like, well, I don't even know where to start. You know, So I feel like from a, a troubleshooting perspective, um, time to productivity, um, I just feel like I'm, I think I'm more on board with that, which is kind of against the grain of like how my mind works when it comes to I should be able to do encrypted traffic and get a cert and then, you know, do all these things. And it should be simple and explanatory or, you know, how we handle authentication. It should be the, the best, not the, the legacy based, whatever. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my perspective on it. I don't know if, if people think I'm completely raw or, or think I'm crazy, but I like now to, I think, get things working so I can secure them. Uh, it's like, I think a better endeavor. I would also, so I don't, I don't know how this would even work. Um, maybe if it was something like Sysmon or another tool, but B and C running those in tandem. So default yeah. settings and all security off. Cause if you're like, Hey, well, what do the default settings provide? And then you have it in your like lab one and you're seeing what results you get. And then you're like, well, what about if it's all off? And then you're looking at it and be like, wow, default settings makes us blind to a bunch of stuff that we didn't even expect. I mean, I mean, in the perfect world, you do A, B, and C all together to see what happens, um, but that's that's never going to work. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it also comes back to what are your requirements, right? So, but yeah. I just still feel like that's your checklist you follow up on when you want to move to prod. But I feel like if you want to dev something, dev it with to show the value. That's the point of dev, in my opinion. And then prod is before you get to prod is how can you meet your requirements to make it production ready, right? So. It's yeah. So Riptide said one of the biggest issues is, you know, technology doesn't work in the same in their prod environment as opposed to their demo. Yeah, no, I run into that all the time, 100%. It's like the engineer, that, that meme, it's like, well, it worked on my computer. It's like, well, fine, we'll give the customer your computer. Um, nope. S, and I, sorry, I don't see your whole name, um, but Sysmon Prop or Propmon? Why, why am I only seeing? I don't know, because you're not friendly with people. I don't know. I'm 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 a I keep everyone at arm's length or at least three dots. Um, Procmon, that's a great tool as well. Um, fun fact about that is by default, it starts saving logs in memory. So as Procmon's running, it's starting to save the logs and the logs that display that you're, you know, which, whatever you're looking at is all in memory. Because I remember I found that tool when, when I found Sysmon and found the Sys internal suite. So I was messing around and I was like, oh, let me check this out. And I ran it and I was like, oh, let's take a look at everything. 
And I walked away for like five minutes. It came back to a blue screen of death. And I was like, what happened? So I was looking at it and you never cease to surprise me. (laughs) Yeah. But like, it was just wild because I was like, why would you, why would you do that? And I get it. If you're, if you're only doing it for a short amount of time, like if you were, uh, (laughs) and like, you know, if you're, if it's like more of a digital friends where you're like, I just think I want to take a look at this malware or whatever run, catch all the material or catch it all and stop, fine. But if you leave it running, 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 um, you have to change it to like write out to your, you know, five, save on the disk. The, when you said the BMC defaults blind you to some things, when I deploy antivirus, there's a setting. He's saying that if you know what yeah. the faults are as, a, as an adversary, you could sidestep. Like, if you know what tools you're up against, you can like basically create your attacks to, to beat the default settings at least, which I think is a is a smart thing to be said, right? Um, any kind of standard setting that most people, because most people like, I guess I guess we know how most people are going to deploy tools. A lot of it's going to be default settings because a lot of the settings we don't know what they really do. It's a good point on how that actually happens. That is a very good point because once again, I was thinking from the perspective of what does this do versus how can an adversary get around it. Yeah, well, I do love documentation, uh, especially if they you know document malware or document tools like Metasploit, Cobalt Strike, so on. I wish people were given time to read documentation. Documentation yeah. is a reactionary thing. Let's <laughs> be honest. In most cases, isn't there like a a, a a site or something that's just like readthedocs.com or something <laughs> that like I, can't I, get to? I gotta find that. If anyone, if anyone can find that faster than me, let me know because I'm pretty sure I've seen it on Twitter where people are like this this command line does this. Read the docs, and it's like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, fun times though. Good lessons learned. Yeah, so you were talking about proc mod and sync and everything when you run it in memory, but uh, I didn't know that. But I've never ran proc mod that long. So, <laughs> it, it, well, clearly, well, yeah, I'd never, and I guess I didn't really realize what was going on at the time because you know just found it. Um, but that that was definitely, and of course, it was more of a panic because it's like that's my first cybersecurity job. It was still within like two years of being employed, and boom. My computer in the sock is now blue screen. I'm like, oh great, I, I'm hosed. I'm the I'm the guy that gets compromised within the sock. And then I restarted the computer. I was like, oh, okay. cool, fun stuff. Oh, cool, yeah. So yeah, I think people brought up some really good points based on you know some of the technology they scrolled out and things to consider. Um, what do you what do you want to bring up for something else to talk about? Ooh, honeypots. I am a so I'm a fan of honeypots. Um, I actually, that's one of the projects in my mind that uh, I plan on doing um, eventually. Um, but if you're not familiar, um, a honeypot is just like a trap that you set. It's a machine that is running like Windows or something that has either default settings or something a little more secure so it looks like it was attempted to be a computer in an environment or something, but really you're just monitoring it and monitoring it and seeing what happens. Um, is it the Sand Stormcast guy that has a, Ulrich has a... Yeah, I think it's a net, yeah. Yeah, HoneyNet. Um, so HoneyPod is just like a single machine or a single device, right? A HoneyNet is where you stand up a whole network that looks like 
uh, an actual network functions, has users and whatnot. Um, and then uh, I'll I'll get to honey users, Swanky. Oh yeah, that's what I really like. Yeah, he's got it. He's got the right idea. Um, My bit. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so you got a whole honey net, right? If you have that resource. Um, and then you got honey tokens. Now honey tokens could be honey users. It could be files. It could be file locations, whatnot. Um, if I were to, um, yes, it's like. Uh, Yes, cyber deception. I, thank you, S. I was actually going to mention it. Um, this is a term of cyber def, uh, deception coined by John Strand. Um, apparently, we listen to the same things, which is, I think I'd like you, S. If only I, I would read John your whole name. Put it out there. He's, he's one of my heroes. Um, yeah, he, he's great. Um, but, so I, if I would recommend it to organizations, if they were to say, hey, we want... Um, we want to do some honey technology. Where would you go first? I would I would say, well, you know what? If you have, um, if you don't have the resources, or the time, or really anything, start with honey tokens, right? Start creating users that shouldn't be used ever, um, but they are on the domain. So if there is a curb roasting attack or something, you could see them involved. And if you see them involved, or if you see that user at all involved in anything, you know something's going down. If you have proprietary information or something, um, maybe that's where you create a um, like a duplicate of it that's similar but wrong, and you put it in another directory. So if that directory is accessed or those files start getting accessed, um, you know something's going on. And then, um, then if you need to step up, create a honey uh, a honey pot that looks pretty. Uh, you know, vulnerable includes some basic vulnerabilities, like it hasn't been patched for a while, because when adversaries are trying to attack you, you know, they're looking for the easiest path possible. So if they approach you or approach and they do a vulnerable or they do scanning, uh, you know, port scanning and map scanning in your environment, and they see that there is a outdated Apache struts or, you know, external RDP enabled, they'll probably target that, e you know, a lot faster than anything harder. Um, but then if you have the resources or or more importantly, if you have the absolute need for a honey net, that's probably the last thing that you should focus on um, simply because that's a lot. I mean, it's a whole other network, right? And to try to make it somewhat deceiving, it's got to look like and act like a normal network versus having like nothing on it, like no Microsoft Office, one user, and that's the local admin, right? Um, but... If you are an organization that is really concerned about that, then by all means, like it's def. I, I personally think it's worth it. Um, it, it there's also like that. Uh, what is it? The um, almost like in the Intel, the Canary tokens or the Canary reports, oh, where they would give every single person a different report, and if someone leaked it, they knew exactly who it was. I I, I like that idea. What, what what are your opinions? So. It's going to contradict a little bit because, you know, back in the day, I feel like there was more opportunistic attacks that happened and just in the wild. And there are with when it comes to vulnerabilities and you got ransomware and things like that. But as an organization, I don't know how much value there is for you to necessarily have your honeypot out there because I think the value in a honeypot is that distribution across the wide area of the internet space to be able to say, hey, we see this activity in the wild. 
versus at our door. It's hard to say, is it at your door if you can't compare it to other results? So I think having a honeypot that participates in a network that you can see the global data for, it's it's great. Uh, that's why I think it's really beneficial for Intel companies and things like that, because you can say, hey, botnets are actively looking for this specific service or these specific ports. There might be a new vulnerability or a new exploit, something we need to be paying attention to. And I think there's value there. But if I just have some device sitting there that's getting hammered on, and I'm just like, well, we're getting hammered on for this now or this now or this now, I don't have the same context, but I am a huge fan of like the canary things or the honey tokens or the things associated with, um, you know, users putting embedding things on web pages so web pages get scraped and redisplayed or like any of that kind of stuff. I think, I think Thinks Canary does a great job. And we've talked about them in the past, um, where I think the best way to operationalize um, that, but I used to be a huge proponent of honeypots. And they've just kind of fallen off as as far as the value in to versus value return. Like you might get really um, lucky to see some payloads and see people fight over things. But I mean, we're back in the day when I was really into them, you'd have adversaries fighting over the same honeypot. They would get in, they kick the other one out, they do their foothold, and the other one would get back in, and they kick them out, and you got and you get to sit there and just watch it all happen, right? I don't know if that's still the case. Like I have no evidence to say one way or the other because I don't have that device and I'm not watching that data. But I feel like, especially as an organization, you would get uh, more return on doing the honey token, the canary, thinks canary type things you could do um, than trying to manage a device that, frankly, a lot of people, I, I remember when we tried to pitch the idea, they're like, oh, well, if something can compromise, does that make us vulnerable? Because now there's a compromised machine in the network. You know, like, no, you can defend and isolate it from those types yeah. of things. but. But yeah, so it, it was just kind of interesting. That's why I thought it was an interesting topic to begin with because, you know, that's where my opinions kind of changed. Um, and it's it's not that I don't think they're great for research and they're great from a dis- distribution. Um, like I think with the Storm Center, when they're with, you can voluntarily, you know, set up their honeypot so that you can share data with them. I think that stuff's great. Um, but one of the things I think is really cool, and I I'm, I'm assuming they still do it. I'm blanking on the Intel um, company that does it. Shoot, no, it'll come. It'll come to me. Um, but there was an Intel company where they would reverse engineer botnets, and they would basically have a bot in the networks. So anytime um, the master C2 of the bots would push something down as far as target this next target. Here's new capabilities. So I'm going to have to do an, like an update or patch. No, it wasn't Talos. I mean, they might do it too. Um, Intel 471. Yeah, okay, okay. That's who it was. Um, and I talked to the guys that, that did that kind of ran or ran with some of this program. Um, super fascinating. And one, I think super beneficial um, because they had the insights for if someone, say, the bot that was leased out to somebody, they were able to have the visibility like, hey, they're going to go after this target. They kind of knew who the target set was, but it's going to be, you know, either spanned with phishing or going to be DDoS or just in general, there are things happening. But they had a really good tie to the different versioning on what new capabilities were being added. Um, if there was blacklist for targets not to hit, who were they protecting, right? And things like that. Like from an Intel um, perspective, wow, incredibly interesting data. I'm sure they gleaned from a lot of that. Um, you could predict it. Like, right, hey, watch out. So 
if you have the time and the talent, that's God. I would, I mean, I would love to do that myself. I don't even know if I have the skill set. Um, I haven't really looked into it, but it'd be cool to reverse engineer and be fine from the botnets to add yourself to the storm, um, and then be able to monitor all the updates that come from the you know the master slave scenario, right? Um, that I think is. But if they have their own honey tokens they're putting out. Well, then they would it, like a little like, flag. It's like the deceiver, the deceiver. I mean, it's like that con. I mean, it is pretty much espionage at the highest level, right? Where everyone's always <laughs> deceiving everybody. Then you might have double agents in there. It would be cool. But, uh, but yeah, so I thought that was an interesting way to play in kind of the honey. I, I want to put it in the honey pot space because it kind of is like you're a fake bot. Um, and you're able to participate on what is live and active and relevant. I think all that stuff that you get from that is 100% relevant versus the hit or misses you might get on other things. So I don't know if anyone else has heard of that, but um, if you have an Intel 471, I'm assuming they still do it. Uh, that was a big thing. And I really liked about it. What happened to your audio? Oh, no. We're losing Scott. No, I can't be here by myself. Oh, my God. And Jay's got a question for you. Yeah, Spy versus Spy. That's what I thought of, too, Jay. No. All right, I guess we're going to have to... I'm going to be both. This could get really depressing real quick. So, Jay, as soon as he comes back... Or what about an internal payroll honeypot? Maybe the real payroll server has too much EDR noise, but if someone touches the fake payroll... We know there's an intruder. No, absolutely. That'd be that'd definitely be another uh, form of deception where the EDR is going to pick up anything that's happening. Um, so, like, they would see the services running. They would see, you know, they would if they did a scan or something, they would look at the... Um, <laughs> uh, Pulley's officially out. Yeah, they would see that all those services, and once again, take the easy target and be like, well, you know what, let's focus on this. Um, this guy's got nothing, and then they hit it, and then realize, or hopefully, don't realize their mistake. Um, that's definitely uh, <laughs> uh, that's definitely a, a valid tactic. Um, something I was gonna say poorly, but I guess I'm gonna have to discuss this by myself. Um, and hopefully, if you're here uh, listening, you can uh, <laughs> the Arkansas unleash. No one, no one wants that. No one sanctions that, and I'm not keeping my job after that. Um, Um, if you're thinking about now, I guess a monologue, how honeypots or an interesting thought that I had was how does, or how can we apply the honeypot, honeynet, and you know what, to the technology topic we just talked. I thought it'd be really cool that if you do like set up, um, that I believe it was it, who was it mentioned the levels documentation, Jay was you. So if you sat there and said, you know what, um, Hey, we're going to um, we're going to set up this new technology, and and our not then don't put in your test or put in your test. See what the normal stuff looks like. Get your proof of concept out, and then move to uh, your HoneyNet or whatever is going on over there or whatever you decide on, um, where you have the tool set up to be um, either completely off, completely on, or just default settings, just to see what what would happen. Like like Jay said, what if it's uh, you know looking at multiple levels deep. Um, are people starting to, are people or adversaries starting to try and 
read the documentation, see where they need to be, and how they could bypass that tool or technology. And that would be a perfect learning experience um, from, uh, honestly, uh, organizations sense, because then you could start thinking about, well, who's targeting us? Who is, uh, or who could be aiming at us? And what tactics, techniques, and procedures are they using? And then from a vendor's perspective, can you imagine if a vendor did this? Like, um, hey, he's back. Um, I made it. Oh, my God. For, uh, like, if you could think about setting up a blank level of Sysmon in a an organization or in your hunting net and just seeing what all the stuff you get um, or a new EDR or SIM or whatever the case may be, or just, you know, any security technology that will stop stuff. What are you seeing? What are they trying to abuse? And so on. Uh, Pulling now that you're back, I was trying to tie our first topic with our second one about setting up a honey net with your security technology that you're implementing. And and honestly, I could see this better, more information from a vendor to see how their product's doing out in the wild. That if they put their their technology in a honey nut um, or a honey net and sat and watched to see what would happen. Um, they could learn a lot from that experience. Jay says, rightly, but my question is the opposite. I need to ignore all the EDR noise on the real payroll server, whether it's legit or not because it's uncomprehensible, until the only way, real way to see if an EDR is a real alert. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I get it. I get it. I was thinking, um, <laughs> trying to fill the dead air. You did great. Thank, thank you, Jay. Um, no, you're, you're right. I, I guess I thought of it uh, from a perspective of ease. Where, um, where if you know, adversary looked at all the services running and like got like a feel of what was going on on that server, that they might pause on that one and then go for the easier target. Um, but I need to ignore all the EDR noise on the real, whether it's legit or not, because it's on. Okay, so you're saying you can't even read anything, and then you're learning from. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. So you're learning from the fake one to start figuring out what you need to focus on. Is, is that correct, Jay? Did, did, I, did I read that correctly? Hopefully it's a yes. Well, I know sometimes when it comes to, when you have a honeypot that's exposed or something that's exposed a lot, um, you expect a lot of extra noise. So you do have to have a way to filter some of that stuff out, especially if you're collecting data from it, right? Um, I don't know if that pertains to what he was kind of alluding to or not. But that's something where, We've always, you know, struggle when we want to put something out on the edge, especially, right? Something that's going to be easily reachable. Like, what does that look like? Because now you have, like, the internet radiation just bounding off of it over and over again. Uh, oh, it looks like so a bunch of port scans and MAP scans. Hmm. Right, right. So it's like, you know, how do you how do you want to manage that, per se? So, yeah. So I don't know if we want to see what he has to say or we want to jump to the next. Let me see. Let me see what we got next. Is it a light top? It's, oh, there we go. It's a me. Yeah. Right. 200 alerts on the real payroll server. We don't always know what that means, but no one should be hitting the fake pro. Okay. So what's interesting when you say you've got like a large number of alerts per se, what's what's good is a way to like aggregate that down. Like, is it a single source hitting it? Or is it, you know, depending on the type of alerts, if it's authentication, is it the same username? Like, just just looking at specific fields can help you narrow that down very quickly to say what do I care about or what I don't um, because 
it'd be really interesting if you're just getting hit from a lot of places because it's like, well, that doesn't make sense unless you're edge exposed. If you're internally exposed and you're hit by a lot of places, like, well, something like we've actually, gosh, now you're making me think about it. Um, I remember we had the problem. We stood up our sim and we're looking at alerts and we were doing vulnerability scanning and we ran into this problem where it was like, well, gosh, we know once we learn all this, because we saw all this bad activity, we're like, people are trying to exploit things. And we're like, what is this? And we finally figure out, oh, that's our vulnerability scanner. Well, that's cool. And then we're like, well, we should whitelist that. And then the question was like, well, that scanner has the keys of the kingdom. Don't we want to know if it does something? And we're like, so it was this huge challenge of like, how do we convince management we should care, right? Um, and we're the right answer it. Right. And the right answer at the end of the day is we know what that is. It's expected behavior. We have to detect on something else. Right. Um, it's, it's just not <laughs> worth your time. Um, so it was, it was, but it was like one of those things. I remember that was like a huge, like, well, what do we do in this situation? And we made the wrong decision for a while and just suffer through the pain of trying to respond to what this could be and investigating everything to realizing it's not worth our time. We can you know do better things. So. Yeah, I, I think we should get to the next topic, even though we have 13 minutes left. Yeah, yeah. Is it the, am I looking at it correctly? It's the uh, coding one, right? Yeah, programming skills. Yeah. So this I always find is a very interesting topic, and I'll kind of frame why I go here too. Um, I remember I sat on, I didn't really, I wasn't like officially, you know, selected to sit on, but I, I attended, that's a better better use, to look at the curriculum curriculum for a university right and they were they were basically saying look at our cybersecurity program as an outside third-party uh, business or whatever and tell us give us feedback on the curriculum and the things we're covering and they walked through the curriculum like well this is a class this is what this covers this is this this is that and they were pulling out things from a programming perspective like yeah we used to have some things that cover some javascript you know we don't we don't want we don't think that's important and we're not going to do any kind of c plus stuff and we don't, and we were thought about doing Python, but we're like, we just don't, and they, they basically were pulling out all this programming stuff where literally they were saying they were just going to get rid of program altogether because they didn't see the value. I remember sitting there thinking like, there is definitely value in understanding code. Now your curriculum maybe shouldn't be about, I can write software, right? But I should be able to say, if I look at a piece of code, I understand roughly what it's doing and what are some of the nuances with coding in general, like how are things stored, how are things used. Um, and so, and I kind of like was that guy who had to raise his hand in the middle of the talk. Like everyone hates that guy. I'm like, oh, uh, 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 you know, I'm like, you, everything you're pulling out, like literally my analysts at the SOC have dealt with, right? As on a professional level, on a day to day, like we were looking at PDFs that had embedded JavaScript that were doing things, and we needed to kind of know what it did so we knew what to look for after the fact. Like, hey, it pulled down something, it downloaded something. Well, now we know what to look for. Or it tried to run something. Well, what did it try to run? You know, was it another payload that got through somewhere else? Um, and then when it came to like, especially PowerShell and Python, I was like, gosh. And, you know, of course, the response, this is why my, my biggest harp at academia was, well, those really good idea, except for we can't change the curriculum. So I really appreciate your feedback, but we're not going to do anything about it. I'm like, oh, oh okay. Um, so really Sorry. it comes out to. I'm laughing because I'm struggling getting your pull out there. And oh, I saw it blow up our, for a second. Yeah. The team just watched me struggle for a while and finally threw it up there. <laughs> What's good? Who, who let me drive? <laughs> this is awesome. This is why I like you to do things. <laughs> uh, it will be entertaining but 
so it really comes down to, I'm kind of curious, um, well, of the group that's been participating so far, like what's your perspective? And we have the poll, it kind of covers it. Like, like how much programming knowledge do you guys really have and how much do you apply? Or like, do you actually look at scripts or look at, you know, bat stuff or whatever it is, um, to figure out what's going on. Um, and to be honest, that's also a, a thing. When I look at reports, I look at the code in reports a lot of times just to say, like, what is the, and not the assembly stuff. When people do like malware analysis, they break out the assembly and the API calls, they get references. I'm like, that's cool, but I can't detect in all that. So, eh. Um, but from a behavior perspective, I really like the other stuff. And so I think there's a lot of value to understanding code, but I definitely don't think people need to write it unless they want to make tools, right? If you want to make really cool tools or participate in GitHub and have things shared out, like, yeah, perfect. We love people in the community that can do that. But from an analyst perspective, I just really want someone to say, hey, I can see there's this function and in this function, it's trying to do these things or it's calling this other function and based on the name, I'm assuming some things or whatever um, versus just being like, uh, scared and just not really addressing the issue. So um, I don't know if anyone else has a take on that that's listening or Lee, what's your whole take on what do you think about programming skills? So programming skills, so first of all, it all depends on the job, the role that you have. Um, and I know that's yeah, an easy answer. But if you're, so I would love, oh man, amen. Swanky, you're on it. I I yeah, love that. Chef, Actually, that exact cyber chef, dude. Um, so, oh, so first of all, it depends on your role. If you are a reverse engineer, I hope you can write something so that you understand programming from the most basic coding uh, like machine, right? Because um, if you're looking at Ida Pro or any other tool like that, that's what you're going to see. Because I've looked at it before. I don't understand it. I'm not good at it. Now, if you're talking about programming like, like for an analyst, I would love to either teach or go to a course that is living off the land pro or coding. Or scripting. I don't know what like, term. Because it's not base really level, like just to get things done, right? What does Windows Command Shell look like? What are your what's PowerShell script? You know, and then cover all the the simple abuses ex, you know, executables that are covered. I would so love. That. So you bring up a good point, and maybe I do kind of muddy the water between the two. But there is a difference between coding in a coding language and doing things from a command line terminal. Because there's some things that are code-like from a command line terminal you can do, and it kind of gets turned into like bat files and things. But it's really command line terminal-based things. Like, yeah, I think you definitely need to understand the command line terminal stuff. The programming stuff is probably the icing, in my opinion, right? Yeah, yeah. As an analyst, absolutely. Yeah, and and I guess that's my fault for taking it that way. Because honestly, I, I guess I'm such a bad coder that I <laughs> bundle that up with it. Um, but yeah, living off the land. Um, love it. Uh, there's just so many, uh, opportunities and so many, uh, opportunities that have been taken to abuse those tools to, uh, uh for adversaries to achieve their goals and stuff. Um, I, I would honestly sit through, uh, a, a semester class, just listening to all that. Um, uh, it'd be so, fun. And I think that's important. Well, one of the skills I think is one, I think it teaches people a lot very quickly, but I also think it's one of the most important skills, especially if you're dealing with obfuscated code, 
is the first thing everyone learns in coding is hello world, right? It literally is like, I'm going to write something. It's going to print something out and it's going to say, hello world. And look, now I'm a programmer in this language. But, and I used, God, I used to hate that too. It'd be like, we're going to do hello world today. And I'm like, no, we're not. Like, I'm going to do something else. I'll even in spite, not say hello world and say hello, something else. But when you look at obfuscated code and you kind of understand the structure and you understand how variables are called, inserting your own print statements and understanding what statement actually executes something, you can completely have the code deobfuscate itself, which I think is incredibly powerful if from a basic reverse engineering perspective, right? Um, you don't have to really understand how the code works or whatever, but if you can say, instead of executing this, this variable, print this variable, and you'll see the code that's actually going to run and it's going to be in the simplest form. I think things like that are definitely things that people should have the understanding. And that's just really, really basic coding and being able to read some code, right? Um, yeah. So I, I think that's a, oh, well, good point. You mean chat GPT. I, I would agree, Swanky. You're, you're on par with that. If you if all else fails, use LLMs, um, which is true. Now, I have put some obfuscated things in an LLM before, and it gives me varying results on what it actually means um, because it tries to do its own what it learned from elsewhere type of math or whatever you want to call it. Um, but, but yeah, if anything, if you want to learn how to code or you struggle with coding, you're right. There's a better tool now that helps you at least along the way. Um, so yeah. So now you actually raise the bar though, Swanky, because now I feel like more people should be able to do coding because they have chat GPT. So there should be no barriers to, can I do this or not? They should be able to don't, I see your face, Lee. I just so now now we're putting out crappy insecure code in mass. Well, I'm not saying create things for people to use. I'm saying figure out what code does. This is no. a way for you to learn. Not yeah. Don't don't rely on that for reliable tooling. And honestly, I I like ChatGPT and I use it a lot, especially when I'm doing like my uh, emulation of adversaries stuff. Simply because sometimes the documentation is hard to read. Like yeah, sometimes you read the description, you're like, what? And then if you go to a chat GPT and say, hey, like, what does this mean? Or how do I do this? Or what capabilities can I use with this living off land binary or this script? And they're like, oh, yeah, this is what you want to do. If you combine this, then if you combine and you're like, whoa, like that was. I like that you can ask that second question because, you know, you, you get some answer the first time. You're like, well, I, what does that mean when you say this? And then you're like, oh, then it, then it explains it further. I'm like, oh, when you're reading documentation, you read something like, it says this. I don't really know what this means. So now I've just got a trial and error until I understand what it's actually trying to say, like, or just fail. So, yeah. And ask it for like output. Like, if I run this command, what does the output look like? They'd be like, here's what possible will look like. Of course, they're putting like their variables and stuff, but, um, and then error codes. Ooh. How did I have oh, this? Stuff? Yes. From a Where quick perspective, if you're writing something, and you're not just trying to read, interpret, or analyze, definitely in writing those error codes with ChatGPT, I use that profusely because um, it gives me like three suggestions and at least one of them gets me along the way where I need to go. So, And it doesn't insult you and make you feel bad. Oh, yours doesn't? Mine does. Maybe it's just because I've insulted it personally. Well, I think it started out that way, but I've used the phrase explain to me like I'm an idiot enough that it's like, all right, we're going to put the kid gloves on. Yeah, you get special treatment. Yeah. <laughs> They're holding a bunch of stuff back. 
Well, that's good that it identified that. I never did. Even a machine can. <laughs> well, so, so yeah, um, I think we're kind of coming up to the end here. So I just want to mention a few things, unless you have some closing remarks you want to mention before I go to the outro. No, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. So, uh, if you partook, um, in our future drink, the malicious mistletoe mixer, um, I did. All I got is the mint sprig that I put in there left. Actually, I thought it was very drinkable. I mint and cranberry. I would have never suggested the two. Huh. I, I could drink it again. Um, I did use rumple mints um, instead of just normal snops, so it was actually much stronger, and I thought it was tastier. You use rumple skin? Rumple mints. It's a hundred no. proof. Yeah, that's <laughs> fun. Um, so that so, so that gray area where you signed off was that just you boot and rallying? Yeah, I was like, oh god, I just you know up chunked everything. No, um, uh, no, I, actually, it was funny. I touched my adapter on my Mac, and then the whole thing crashed. I don't like. I've never had that happen before, but I do have probably over a thousand or more tabs open in Chrome on multiple desktops everywhere, and I think that's really what did it. So I got to do some tab management when we're done here. But um, so with that, uh, great conversation. Uh, I want to thank everyone for joining. Um, once again, we we love talking shop uh, with friends and colleagues. I appreciate some of the engagement we had today. Actually, you know, you, you guys mentioned some things, made me think about some things differently, which I, I love. So hopefully I was able to do some of that for you as well. Um, but please, if you like what you hear, uh, check us out on the Apple Podcast, Spotify, or anywhere else you actually check out podcasts and leave us a good review. It helps get our ranking up so we're out to more people and we can bring more people in and have a bigger conversation, um, which is... I think great. Uh, so we can get discovered that way. Um, recommend us to a friend. Yeah. Um, and you too, Riptide. And if you, if you kind of like what you hear here, um, Lee and I typically, we do our, our weekly where we actually grab five emerging articles. I'll call them because they're not always threat based, but we try to kind of give ideas for different content and things you could create off these specific reports or how to think about them from a threat hunter's perspective. Um, and what we would do to operationalize some of these components. Uh, it's usually about an hour once a week. It's usually hits on Wednesdays. So definitely check that out. Um, it's a good time too. Um, but yeah, with that, I appreciate everybody being here and happy hunting. Happy hunting everyone. Thanks for listening to the out of the woods podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast. So you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Cyborg Security, check us out online at www.cyborgsecurity.com and follow us on social media. We'll see you next time.